Welcome to our latest episode of Inside the Vault, Enterprise Bank's podcast series where we talk about items of interest to the small business community. What we're going to do today is we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about a specific industry, the landscaping industry. But with that, we're also going to have an, a few entrepreneurs uh, that are with me today tell their story about their own landscaping business and how they've also uh, evolved into providing uh, support services for others in the industry or interested in getting into the landscaping business. So with me today are Patrick Murray and Ken Deemer uh, of Local Roots Landscaping. Welcome, guys. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks for having us here today. Yeah. Sure, sure. No problem. So before we, we start talking about the landscaping industry dynamics and how you guys are kind of trying to support folks either in or getting into the, into the business, let's talk about your own venture, right? So Local Roots Landscaping. Um, so can one of or both of you give me uh, a little background on the history of Local Roots and then your respective backgrounds and how, how you came to start the business and, and how it's developed? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I can start. Uh, it, it was developed uh, my senior year in college. Uh, I was mowing lawns back in Pittsburgh while I was at school in Cleveland and I needed help every every so often. So Ken would actually come in and tag team and take care of those lawns when I when I couldn't come back uh, home for the weekend and in that, you know, when I was studying for finals or supposed to be studying for finals, I was really just trying to develop a name for this company that was slowly coming to fruition and uh, ended up that Local Roots Landscaping was available on a PA's website. So I thought it was pretty catchy and we went with that. But really after college, you know, we, we both came back to Pittsburgh and it uh, we realized we did have a decent client base. We really enjoyed being outdoors um, and we really worked well together. That was something in our friendship. Yeah, how, did, how did you guys, uh, you guys been lifelong friends or? It feels like it. Yeah, <laughs> pretty, pretty much. So we, we met in high school at church okay. and uh, became friends there. We spent a lot of time. Uh, we worked together in high school, actually, just a number of odd jobs. Uh, and then in college, early college years, we kind of drifted apart just naturally. I went right. to school in Chicago. He was in school in Cleveland. And then uh, we kind of came back together through some common interests, just the outdoors, and then ended up, I did my internship in Australia and uh, with the Salvation Army, and Patrick just wanted to travel. So he <laughs> tagged along. I did my internship for the first six weeks when we were there, and then we decided to take another cool three months off, and we just spent the time traveling around Australia, working together, and that was kind of the first time we really had that experience of it's more than just we enjoy doing fun things together. We actually enjoy kind of like growing together. We had a really good give-and-take relationship over that time. Yeah. Uh, we oftentimes joke that we've got the most communist capitalist relationship ever because <laughs> outwardly we're very, you know, free market, let's rock yeah, and roll. Right. Um, but inwardly as friends, like there were times where I was not making any money because I was doing volunteer work. Right. And uh, Pat was covering our dinners. And that's kind of gone back and forth for a long time as we developed our relationship. And parts of that have carried through in a way where we really have developed one where we, you know, looking out for each other and willing to pick up the slack where the other one's lacking. Right. So when did when did you you start the company? Yeah, so it was May, I think May 15th of 2014 was the official date of inception, but we were doing work prior to then, you know, uh, but that was the official launch. So we will be finishing our ninth season as Local Roots. Uh, back then we were out of the back of my Honda Civic. We soon upgraded to a 94 Toyota Tacoma <laughs> and then uh, the rest is history. So, so um, why landscaping? What, what interested 
you guys in that business model or that that industry? Yeah, I can start on this. Uh, we were I was in the line for lunch uh, in college, and I remember I just came back from break, and someone was asking me what I'm studying, what do I want to do, and I was just like all in on landscaping. I just said I just want to cut grass right now, and <laughs> he was like, "You're paying an awful lot of money to, to you know to cut grass right now." But it was in me that I, I really had this um, just passion to start a business. And I was in school for business as well. But I loved the trades. I loved working with my hands. But the reality of it was just being outside and creating a business that was in the outdoors. It was uh, basically all of our hobbies and passions growing up were outside. And so I, I really wanted to figure out a way how, you know, of how to make a living while being able to, to do that. And a lot of it was the seasonal aspect. We really loved the idea to be able to travel. So winters off was very attractive for us then. Um, and quite frankly, just again, like working in nature and working with natural materials versus working in construction where you have drywall, dust, paint, those sort of things right. that we, we did do quite a bit of, we realized they weren't really what we were passionate about. And it was more, you know, cultivating the earth. And that was something that I think we really grew in. Yeah. And it became a vehicle over time too. That was definitely the inception of it, but then it's become a vehicle over time for our, the entrepreneurial bug. And we oftentimes say to both internally and externally to our clients and to our company that we are a we're a customer service company that happens to do landscaping or we're a people oriented company that happens to do landscaping. So it definitely started off as we are particularly passionate about that. But as our ventures have grown and become, you know, in across a variety of different um, industries, that's remained true. Yeah. So two man, two man operation starting in 2014. Give it, give it our viewers and listeners kind of a, an idea of how the business has grown, whether that's employee uh, from an employee perspective or facilities perspective. And where in and what part of town are you guys kind of headquartered in? We're based out of the east, so North for Sales is yeah. where our headquarters are. That's yeah. where our facility is. Patrick mentioned we started out of the back of a Honda Civic. The first couple of years, we big surprise to everyone. I'm sure we really had no idea what we were doing, <laughs> and it still feels like that sometimes today. But we uh, so we started the first three or four years, we kind of hovered. So it felt like big growth by a percentage increase. Right. But really, we were just kind of copying and pasting the same concept. It wasn't until we really decided to start consciously scaling the company that that started changing. So we kind of got hung up just to measure by people and revenue. Five or six people, about $650,000 in revenue. We got hung up there and we recognized that that copy paste model as long as we were just kind of trying to replicate and not scale that one-to-one -one correlation versus a greater. Uh, whenever we made that conscious decision, that's when we sought out a coach. That's when we really decided to like kind of open up our thinking in terms of how the company could continue to grow. Uh, from that point, for the following four or five years now, we've had some really rapid growth years. So it's we went from uh, that number to now this year, we're going to do almost $8 million with about 50 people. Okay. And I'm assuming, you know, as most landscapers, you probably started out primarily focused on residential work. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming at your scale now that you entered commercial world at some point, too. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so our exact service mix would be install wise. We're about 30 percent commercial, 70 percent residential or 60, 40, somewhere in that range. Um, that's both in landscape maintenance. So your routine maintenance of commercial properties, whether they're facilities or apartment complexes. Mm -hmm. Uh, to full-on install. So we just, we're, we'll be wrapping up uh, a 10-story apartment complex in Oakland uh, where we put a green roof on with cranes, you know, on the 10th level, uh, tons of hardscaping, outdoor patio space on the 5th level courtyard. So just projects you really can't 
get in residential uh, arenas. And that that has been a really just a cool component of scaling and being able to to play with the big players. Right. So obviously there's there's a, a big difference in the business model, commercial versus residential, particularly from a cash flow perspective. Um, so, you know, at the scale you're at now with that revenue and employee count, what kind of a management structure have you built in the company? Yeah, so I, I can kind of start there. And, yeah. and you know, Patrick spent the whole morning presenting our <laughs> org chart to the company. So he's really, yeah. he's ready for this question. Yeah, I can do this. So simplest way to put it, uh, it would be the company has three partners, actually. So we, okay. we just introduced a third partner to the company. We merged with a with a carpentry firm that, has, that uh, was a good friend of ours that owned it. So the three partners are myself, Kenneth, and then Robert. Uh, Ken's in charge of sales on the org chart. I'm in charge of finance on the org chart. And then Rob is in charge of operations on the org chart. So those are the three main beasts of the company. Um, under mine, I have an outsourced controller slash CFO. I have an office manager and an office admin. Uh, and then Ken has a design team and then his sales team underneath him. And then in operations, we would break it off into two departments. So your construction or install type projects. And then we would have our landscape maintenance and routine reoccurring projects, if that makes sense. Um, leadership team wise is, is what's honestly like most important here would be directly under each of us more in Rob's case, we would have project managers and account managers, those people who are leading the ship, right? They're steering the ship yeah. with all of our field staff. Um, it's they're an integral part of our of our organization, and uh, we we could not do any of this without that. I guess we'll call it middle level management, you know, for lack of a better term. I, I think they are literally some of the most important people, if not the most important people in our company, to make to make it uh, to make us available to come to things like this, right? Yeah, uh, they're truly running the show there. And when you talk about multiplying culture and multiplying the company ethos, the fact that that team has the buy in that they do is what makes that uh, capable of having a multiplicative effort. So what do you, I mean, what are kind of, you know, I don't want to call it a mission statement, but what are kind of the principles or tenets that you guys focus on in running and in, in building and running the business? I'll take core values if you want yeah. to. Take, yeah. So our core values are uh, GROW. So the acronym GROW. So the G is going to be go home safe and healthy. We, uh, as an organization, have tried to expand that beyond maybe the typical understanding of what it means to be safe and healthy, especially in any type of construction or outdoor industry. Oftentimes that focuses on no more than just, I joke, like leaving work with all of your limbs and digits attached. <laughs> uh, so for us, it's creating an environment where people have a sense of security, where it's a good, solid launch pad for them, where they're going to be cared for emotionally, where they're going to be cared for physically, uh, they're going to be developed. So that's the G, the go home safe and healthy. R is respect all people. So respect and love all people, all places, all times, no exceptions. And uh, I'd mentioned before, like the importance of having those types of things modeled by more than we tell our company all the time, uh, it doesn't matter what Patrick and I think. If it's not bought into, especially as you get to a certain size and volume of company, if that's not bought into and championed by everyone, or at least like uh, all of the middle management, then it just dies. So having that championed is something that I think has genuinely created that workplace for people. Um, o is operate with integrity. So that is something that we've always been extremely i would say strict and passionate about so there's no such thing in our opinion like there's no such thing as a white lie there's no such thing as brushing anything under the carpet operating with integrity and having that foundation and mutual expectation with everybody leads to conversations like we had this morning where patrick stood up in front of the company and spoke for me and spoke for patrick when it's like hey we've made mistakes this year here's what we're owning here's where we're going to adjust and go next year 
Uh, and I think modeling that integrity from the top is something that's kind of allowed that to infuse the whole of the company. So the final one is W, that's welcome new ideas. And that's, again, something that we have found. Uh, there's an expression that we use a lot. Leadership is the art of disappointing people at the rate that they can absorb. And I'm going to use that. Yeah. <laughs> so we, I didn't come up with it, to be clear. Um, but what we have found is particularly in kind of an entrenched industry, if you will. And I think right. a lot of the trades are like this, and I fall victim to this all the time. But uh, a willingness and an openness to embrace new ideas. So sometimes that's new methodologies and strategies. Sometimes that's new equipment. Uh, but we chose to make that a core value of ours because we recognized that seeing um, the downstream effects of that resistance to change and that resistance to improvement ultimately take a huge toll on the company. So we have held that kind of front and center for us as a core value. Right. So let's let's talk a little bit about the industry dynamics because you know me as as a career you know commercial lender banker, your business, your industry in landscaping has all the all the dynamics and potential issues that you I think you can imagine right as, in business. I mean, you're dealing with a somewhat seasonal weather related business in a lot of circumstances, a very labor heavy. Uh, business, which obviously that's the biggest challenge I hear from most of my clients and people I meet with in the business community is, you know, hiring and retaining good people. Um, you know, you have capital needs because, you know, a lot of equipment necessary to run an operation at the scale you're at. And then, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, cash flow, you're a payroll based company from a cost perspective. So you've got all this. Stop, stuff. Stop reminding me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that anxiety on. is going through the roof. I keep talking. I'm like, ease up, man. And I'm not not trying to scare no, anybody, yeah. but you know, it it's it's a, a lot to manage. What what do you all see? What are the biggest challenges in your industry? And then we'll talk about how you guys are trying to work to make the industry better for others. Yeah, so I will I will start there. I think you you hit the nail on the head with what most people's uh, problems or or main issue would be, and that would be labor, and that's that's across. I mean, every yeah. industry at this point, not even just labor, like the labor or blue collar trades, right? right. Um, that's something that we, because our you know core values are based around loving people and making them feel welcome. Like we haven't generally struggled with that, and that's something that I, I think we're very proud of for sure. Um, for instance, we're looking to grow our, our landscape maintenance over the, over the winter this year. And we have 10 to 12 seats we need filled. And that's actually like not the stressor for us. The stressor for us is making sure we have the contracts in place to do so. So that's something we, you know, I don't so know. So you attract people based on the culture. We do. Yeah. Okay. And so even our managers aren't stressed about hiring. Like it's, a, it's actually fun for us. We usually get like yeah. just high quality people. Um, I'll get, we can get into how we do that at some other time, but uh, yeah, big challenges are, are definitely like just hiring and, and having it be a landing spot. I think that would be the answer is, a lot of times when you get into the trades or you want to start a landscaping company or a construction company, you're doing it because you love the trades or you're good at them, right? But you might not necessarily be a business owner or you might not know how to start. Um, so with that, it's easy to start a company and just hire laborers on. But really what we started doing over the last couple of years is making sure we're creating a landing spot, right? And so it's not as easy if you're just starting, but you know we have obviously a retirement package with company match. We have full benefits. We have paid holidays, paid time off. Like career-minded people are coming to us. It's not It's not just college students. It's not right. just high school students. Um, but that would be my main, I guess, push would be to, from the start, make it a landing spot for your employees. As much as you can, it changes. Yeah. It, you, know, you have to adapt. It starts with bonuses and whatnot. But 
Um, there's that. And then you mentioned the the commercial lending equipment, like these things are, are big deals, right? Uh, right? You know, you can't buy an excavator for less than whatever, can we know, $100,000, right? Um, it's not as simple as picking up a paintbrush and going to paint a house. Like there's a lot to do here. Um, so it can get stressful. It's, I think networking and making the right connections from the start, um, potentially partnering with a financial partner, right? And then starting that way versus starting off on your own by pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. There are many methodologies and ways you can go about starting a business. And that would be a lot of stuff that we're coaching people on is just view the different approaches. Don't just th- think of it as a one size fits all when you're getting into a business. Right. And then it, talking about that, that seasonality component, I, I, you know, I know you guys are, are, have and are continuing to kind of try to diversify what you do to eliminate some of that. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Ken, you led the snow charge this year. I'd love to talk about the managers and all that with them. Right. So seasonality typically has been a big challenge of ours. And I would say, I would say it remains that way. Right. It gets really, uh, particularly in outdoor construction, the type of work we do, it is, you mentioned heavily impacted by the weather. So our ideal working season is about six months. We stretch it to 10, uh, but you got two on the front and two on the back that are a little bit sketchy, right? And mm-hmm. we're definitely not working at peak efficiency during those times, whether that be like right now, daylight, like it's basically pitch black at 445. Right. Um, so those, those are challenges of ours. This year, we have always, like Patrick mentioned, we're heading into our 10th year of business. And we have always just said, uh, due to a number of factors, a big one being the quality of life element, uh, we've always said, hey, we're not doing snow. We're not getting involved in snow. We're not running that. And we were actually at a meeting earlier this year where we were pushing our management team really hard to think outside the box and say, it's like, like, hey, we're, we're not going to be thinking we're we're really encouraging you to be open minded and to challenge whatever. Yeah. Uh, and one of it was like kind of quiet for a second. And then one of our maintenance uh, team kind of spoke up and they're like, so why don't we do snow? And we're like, no, 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 no we don't do snow. They're like, Jesus, like <laughs> you were just telling us that we shouldn't be thinking. And can you remember the particular language you were using? Yeah, I was talking about like I was pushing them to hit their revenue goals for the year. And then I basically was saying it's non-negotiable. We're not doing snow. And they're saying well, that's the way we can hit our revenue goals. And we were just like hardlining with them. I was a stalemate. And yeah, they stood up and were like, this is unacceptable. Like you're not allowing us to do what we need to do to hit these goals that you're setting for us. And it was it was a huge challenge. And from that day forward, we're like, let's let's go. And so we started supporting them. And they've taken and run with it. I mean, it's been amazing to see the leadership there because I think because it was their initiative and we allowed that, they're treating it like it's their own baby, which has just been really cool to see. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's basically the the one of the ways that we're tackling the seasonality of the business. So we, uh, we're always working on how to best leverage, you know, layoffs, how to best leverage the types of work we can do indoors. Uh, Patrick mentioned earlier that we acquired a carpentry company. That's provided, you know, uh, routine work for both the team we acquired and then some of our in-house carpentry teams to be able to have, you know, static set work throughout the winter. So it's been kind of floating through a few of those different options and then building year over year a more comprehensive strategy that accounts for all of those all those teams as we head through the winter. And honestly, we've we've tracked these hours before we try to have a sustainable of a workflow as possible, but oftentimes they've worked with those two months off, they work just as many hours in a year as someone would work if they worked 40 hours a week straight through, you know, those other two months. Right. So oftentimes a lot of our staff, when we open up the, we send what we call a winter work survey, which gives them the opportunity to say what they're interested in doing or not doing. And I'm always surprised by how many people are just like, Hey, I need the time. You know, I, I yeah. need this next month off. I need these next two months off. 
So regardless, we've had a really fantastic retention rate. We uh, we typically have a right around 95% yeah. over the winter. Yeah. Now, I know it's fairly common in, in, in the landscaping business. Uh, it may, when I say fairly common, it varies based on the politics involved. But a lot of landscapers use migrant workers. Is that something that you guys have gotten involved with? So we haven't yet. Okay. Um, I know that, again, that's uh, the big push for our maintenance operations manager for next year is to at least uh, delve into that. So we'll be lo- we'll be looking into the um, H2B program starting next year. Uh, there's a big fear of like going all in on that because then you're fully dependent. Right. If it doesn't work out, you know, your hands are tied there. But I think it would be naive for us to not even uh, dabble in that, especially as we're growing the landscape maintenance side of things. So uh, if you were to podcast or have us on a podcast a year from now, I would hope to say we have, you know, three to five on staff or right. on the docket for next year. That would be our goal. Right. Well, the one thing that 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 I've heard from Travis Gonzalez, who handles your relationship here with with the bank, is that you guys really focus a lot on internal controls and without giving away trade secrets for local roots. What are some of the things that you all have employed to to, you know, track? profitability on jobs, track use of supplies and materials, those types of things. So we have a, um, the welcome new ideas, right, is, yeah. the, is the W. And we have a gentleman on staff whose title is continuous improvement manager. So he, uh, we tasked him a couple years ago, we called him the, the 1% projects, uh, where it's like, especially, and I, I'm under no illusion, we're like a, a giant company. But yeah. for us, 1% makes a lot more difference at millions of dollars right. than it did at, you know, $650,000. So we really invested a lot of time and effort into building systems around controlling for these small variables. So whether it's minimizing shop time in the morning or minimizing waste on materials, uh, our warehouse, we have, it's recently integrated with our supply company as well. So it's it's changed a little bit. But it's been one that is set up around making sure that people are able to get exactly what they need and get out as quickly as possible in the morning. So shaving those, you know, shaving those times there. We've invested a lot in machines that shave those times. So whether without getting too specific, yeah, putting a lot of energy and resources into the research, the training, the acquisition of machines that actually completely changed completely what someone's workflow looks like, which is, again, it has a holistic benefit in the respect that people come back from work and they can have a day where they're like, my goodness, we got so much done today. And they're also not waking up the following morning being like, my goodness, I'm never going to walk again. And oftentimes those are really closely connected to one another when you're talking Mm -hmm. any type of blue collar work. Uh, But that's been a huge focus of ours is just the efficiency, whether that is uh, job flow on site efficiency or the efficiency of just uh, like what their daily cadence looks like and how we are uh, giving them the tools and direction to be able to operate efficiently from arrival to departure. Yeah. And you guys have leveraged a lot of technology too, right? Yeah, I'd love to get into that. So um, this is for anyone starting out a special or if you're already started in your own business, uh, like a CRM or an estimating software is is absolutely non-negotiable. So from the start, we have a CRM we use. It's called LMN. There are many out yeah. there, but this is a landscape management network, I believe is what that stands for. We create a budget every year on that. It's a it's a living budget. And from that, that influences our estimates. So whenever our sales team is on there doing estimates, it's pulling our budgetary numbers from that, putting our overhead recovery on there, marking it up with our profit. And they're sending out these bids that are capturing all of the overhead that most business owners aren't thinking about in the first couple of years of their business, things that actually cost money right. that you're not capturing, right? So it's a lot different than, um, you know, pen and napkin type math where you're saying, my time's worth, you know, 50 bucks an hour, yeah. my truck payments, this, there's a lot more that goes into that. And that's what's ca- being captured there. Um, 
I think you cannot start a business without a CRM or an estimating software. And so uh, just that alone, that then talks to our scheduling, our invoicing goes through there, and then it goes into project costing. And that's something that I'll be vulnerable here. As I said, I'll always be real. It's taken us years to get accurate project costing just because there's so many intricacies in all of our projects, everything from every single minute being captured, every single ounce of fuel being used, and every single yard of mulch to block that we're buying, right? And then returns that are done there. But in our CRM, they finally have a pretty comprehensive project costing uh, system within so that in January, I have two days scheduled right now for postmortems on all of our jobs to go through each job, what went well, what went poorly, down to the number on on tonnage of stone used over budgeted, right? And so that's the kind of stuff that I can confidently say and lead a meeting on now, and that feels very good to be there. And that's uh, it's not as it's not as intimidating as it sounds if you have the right tools and resources, right? And and that costs money. It costs money yeah. to have software, but I think you can't do it without that properly. You'll be chasing your tail. So with these systems you've built and the success that you've had from those systems, um, your latest venture is you want to help others that have an interest in this industry or, or similar type industry. So can we talk a little bit about forward coaching and, wh- and what that is and, and how that's being built? Yeah. Primarily, this is something that started as a passion project for us. And we've had a, a lot of great discussions since like this is it feels a little different to us because we are entrepreneurs at heart. And there's obviously that component of it, right? right. Um, over the years, we've been really privileged to have a lot of really cool contacts in the industry. And a lot of those contacts have then connected us with people who they believe we'd be a good fit to help. This is before any of this business existed, any of the coaching existed. And we found that through that, through industry events, we uh, there's a big trade show every year called Hardscape North America that we've been privileged to go to and participate in from an educational perspective. And we've found that through those conversations and through events like that, some of the most fulfilling and energizing work that we do is in helping younger contractors who are at an earlier stage of their business crack the code and skip steps. Uh, because the reality is the direct impact of that and the direct impact of a thriving business is seen on the side of what kind of parent you're able to be and what like how you're able to pursue your dreams in life and how mm-hmm. you're able to spend more time with your family or pursuing your hobbies or whatever it might be. There's a really, you can draw a very straight, clear, dark line from success in the business to a lot of life improvement. And I'm not saying, don't hear what I'm not saying there in the respect that it's not about crushing it and making a ton of money. And that's where true happiness lies. But the reality is we see so many people who start in business with this vision of freedom. And they say, I'm going to do this because I want to have this certain type of life for myself or craft this kind of life for myself. All of a sudden they turn around, it's three or four years later and they find out, I, I've heard this expression a lot recently, like they've bought themselves a job is basically what it turns out being for them. So really the primary focus of the coaching side of things for us is to be able to leverage our experience uh, and our knowledge into allowing and assisting other young business owners. And when I say young, that could be a 50-year-old business owner who's young as a business owner. Leverage uh, those resources that we have to be able to help people use their business to architect their life rather than have their business uh, run their life, which is really what happens. People don't think of it as a tool. They think of it as, and we even used language like this for a long time, where we would call the business the hand that feeds. uh, And we would respect the business, right, over everything else. And that would become the thing that kind of just drives all of our decisions. 
rather than recognizing, hey, this is a tool that I have in order to build a certain type of life that I want. So that's really the the driving force of that for us. What made us want to jump into that in the first place? And yeah. sh- shorter version of that is, um, you know, finding freedom by getting out of the grind in your business, or or the reverse of that, right? Uh, getting out of the grind to find freedom in your business because that grind and that hustle culture that again it has its place. Like you have yeah. to hustle, you have to work your butt off, no doubt. And like I don't want that to be the message that you can just coast by, but it's very easy to get locked in that hustle and locked in that grind. And that's all you're seeing force for the trees. That's right. And, yeah. and so um, you do need to have that freedom in it. It could be glimpses of freedom at first, you know, or it could be a life of freedom, which is what we're, we're, you know, really trying to get people, get people to realize. But, um, and that's a mix of things, right? It's a mix of basically business and life coaching. It's a mix of systems implementation. So it's us getting like down and dirty, like right. here's a system you need. Here's how we're going to implement it with you. Or here's what you need to do. If you don't want to pay us to do it for you. Um, Everything from financials to operating systems to sales systems, hiring systems, uh, re- you know, retention systems, uh, all the stuff that we really love and have worked through painless or painfully, <laughs> to get, not painlessly, uh, to get. So that passion comes out. So all the calls I'm on, I know I just can't stop talking about it to to just show them like this is what I've what we've been through and here's what I want to give you, you know, and it's at their fingertips. So really cool to have stuff like that and. Uh, yeah, it's we do that and then a mix of peer groups. So we'll do one on one coaching with you mm-hmm. and then uh, peer groups. So five to seven business owners in every peer group where once a month we're meeting up on, on Zoom or Google yeah. Meet. Right. And, uh, you know, we're able to collaborate, pick ideas from each other, learn off of what, what everyone's doing. We'll bring projects to the table and whatnot. And uh, it's just really exciting stuff. When did you all roll out the coaching component? Just, just. September. So, yeah, September was our official launch. So this has been something that we have had the, again, huge opportunity mm-hmm. to work with people on over the years, but it was just formalized. I mean, the the whole idea was conceived about a year ago. Uh, that's when we determined, hey, this is something we're going to take a real pass at. And then uh, thankfully, we were able to bring on a third partner. Uh, actually, the team that runs all of our marketing on the local roots side came in as our partner on the coaching side of things as well. So there's okay. there's three partners on the coaching side, and it's, it's leveraged us into... Uh, just a really cool spot. And is that, uh, have you focused specifically on landscaping or is it industry agnostic? It's right now it's green industry in particular. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all, uh, all landscaping, landscape construction. Um, because we feel like there is a giant audience there and we don't feel the need to go into other trades at the moment. It's a hundred percent, uh, uh, it can transition a hundred percent into any trade essentially, but we feel like why diversify if there's already a huge need right. in what we're doing. Sure. And and as I mentioned earlier on, you'll deal with somebody that's just looking to get started or somebody that's already in business and maybe hits that inflection point where they have to start building systems and efficiency, right? No doubt. Yeah. So it starts, you know, we our target, you know, like I guess like ideal client would be in that two hundred thousand dollar gross revenue yeah. range to like four million. But we have a handful of clients that are below that two hundred thousand. Yeah, uh, they're just getting started, but they know and they see the need. And I, I am actually like very encouraging of them to to continue doing that because I think if we had that insight at the early stages, we'd be in a totally different spot than we are now. Right. And that's uh, you, you know you don't know what you don't know, but it's cool to see a lot of like the younger entrepreneurial like spirits coming up. They're a different generation than us, even you know, but they just have a different sense about them. So it's really neat to see them thinking ahead uh, way more than we did. It's it's been really encouraging. And what, I mean, you know, it's relatively new and you have, you know, small but growing number of clients. What are you, what are you seeing are the, are the, the biggest pain points or the biggest shortcomings that, that folks in your industry are, are dealing with? 
one of the biggest ones is people's just belief that they're an island and that people don't understand what they're going through. And for a lot of people, that's the reality. Like neither Patrick or I came from this entrepreneur rich family that has a bunch of people that we can uh, go to for advice, that we have a bunch of people that we can go to for insight on things. And a lot of the people who are doing what they're doing right now are getting called crazy, similar to how the person <laughs> talked to Patrick in the line where he's like, you're paying an awful lot of money. You know what I mean? So yeah. if he would have said there, like, yeah, I'm going to have a $10 million landscape company in a, in a few years. That's what I'm going to build. That'd be like, okay, cool. But a lot of people, they don't know where this is going or why they're doing it. They just got this bug and they've got this drive. So I, I think not feeling like they're on an, like that island feel is one of the biggest pain points people have is just being able to relate to people, have people understand where they are and help them diagnose their problems. So much of time as an entrepreneur is spent saying, something's wrong. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'm not happy. I'm not loving right. this right now. My team's unhappy. My clients are unhappy. So the diagnostic side, I think, is very helpful. The diagnostic and community side, uh, something that uh, we have actually a coach on the sales side as we've been growing our sales team, who's been an excellent resource for me. And something that he says all the time is top performers crave accountability. So that's been another part of it is I think a lot of people, it's not that they don't even know what the next steps are for them, but then having someone come alongside them. The first step we do with any of our new clients is we set a strategic plan and we say, hey, here's what we're going to tackle for the next 12 months. So having someone to come alongside you and fashion that plan, because so many people spend so much time. This is the most human thing ever is like you get lost in the land of good intentions. Right. Hey, I know what I should do. I know I should implement a CRM. I know I should implement an onboarding system. I know I should do, you know, fill in the blank. So the accountability and the roadmap part, I think, is one of the biggest things that's lacking in small businesses, because that is something that requires this cohesive thread to be pulled over an extended period of time and through the whole of the company oftentimes. And the reality is that so many people are just trying to keep their head above water as a small business that that stuff just gets completely pushed to the wayside. So for for those viewers and listeners that are interested in local roots uh, services, how do they get in touch? Yeah, so our website would be our best bet to check out what we're doing there, check out a lot of our projects, just what we're about in general. Yeah. And that's going to be localrootslandscaping.com. If you want to email us directly there, uh, it's my first name, Patrick, at localrootslandscaping.com, and then Kenneth there. Yeah, and for those that are either already in the, in the business or in the industry or, or looking to get started, to access the coaching uh, resources and support that you all provide, how can they get in touch with, with you from that angle? So that's forwardcoaching.com, and forward is, we decided, to hell with vowels. So it's uh, <laughs> F-R-W-R-D coaching.com. There's vowels in coaching, I guess. I'm making it more confusing now. F-R-W-R-D coaching.com. And we encourage everyone, It's uh, we try to be as transparent as possible in terms of pricing and what the relationship will look like. What I don't want anyone to think is that they have to have everything figured out before they pick up the phone and make the call or before they fill out the form on the website. We have so many people that we chat with and we elect maybe it's a good decision for them to move forward. You know, we together decide that. Uh, or maybe it's not the right decision for them to move forward, but just the opportunity to have that discussion and conversation. We are not watching the clock on that time. We're not picky about the kind of calls we take. Again, it's a passion project for us. So we love the opportunity to talk with young entrepreneurs. And even if it's something where, hey, we don't, we decide we're not ultimately going to work together. It's always a privilege for us to get to kind of know what people's challenges are and see if there's anything we can do in order to kind of help them as they're working to get to the next stage and break free of that grind. Well, congratulations on the success with the core business. Thank you. And commend you for giving back um, 
to the entrepreneurial community with the coaching business. So, you know, good luck with with that. Thank you both so much for participating. Uh, for those of you that have any questions or ideas for future episodes, you can email us at inside the vault at enterprisebankpgh.com. You can check us out in audio format on all the major podcast platforms and in video format on YouTube. Patrick, Ken, thanks very much. It's thanks been an honor. Thank us. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm.